gentlemen, welcome to America's Auto Enthusiast Program. This is Auto World. And now, here's your host, Bob Long. Are you ready? Because here we go for another exciting hour of Auto World. In this hour, one of our regular contributors is going to be with us. He is a certified lubrication specialist with more than 25 years of experience. He's a former nuclear propulsion engineer uh, for the U.S. Navy and, of course, is one of the largest AMSOIL dealers in all of North America. So Dan Watson from thelupage.com will be with us and will be uh, taking your calls at 855-660-4261, 855-660-4261, via the email to myself, Bob, at autoworldradio.com, or to uh, Dan directly, Dan Watson, at thelubepage.com. We have so many questions. We are kind of backed up here. But, Dan, is there anything new or important you want to bring to our listeners' attention before we start diving into these questions? Well, Bob, there's one thing I wanted to bring to our listeners' attention, and and this is a subject which, to me, I kind of hate to have to talk about it, but I have to, and that's the fact that uh, the this difficulty we have today with actually being able to understand labeling on a product and what it means when they say that it is a full synthetic or that it is a uh, blend of synthetic and petroleum and so forth. And here's here's the thing. If I, listeners out there, listen carefully to this because I'm going to condense it the best I can so it doesn't eat up too much time, but it's very important because I was doing research for a customer this past week, and I went to a very highly reputable company's website and checked out some technical information on one of their transmission fluids. And this transmission fluid is labeled as full synthetic transmission fluid, and all the bells and whistles are supposed to be that that's all good, that it's full synthetic and correct. So I did something that a lot of companies don't make this available anymore, but they happen to have it. So I checked what's called the uh, material safety data sheet on this particular product. Now, for our listeners out there that may not know what that is, that's something required by the federal government that you have to have in case you spill this stuff or somebody... Uh, drinks it or they get it on them or whatever to to tell whatever type of a hazard it is so that you would know the corrective action to take. For example, most of the time if it's on your outside skin, it's to wash it off with soap and water in order not to leave it in long-term contact because uh, it can cause some harm over time with long-term contact. So that's an example of how they would tell you if you spilled it. If you spill it into waterways that you have to contact the government and it's not biodegradable and all that kind of stuff. But there's a section on it where it talks about the uh, chemistry of the product. They don't give away too many trade secrets and so forth. But in this one section on this product, it listed what the base stock was made of. Now, remember, this was a full synthetic labeled product, full synthetic. Mm-hmm. Now, most people, Bob, would assume that means it's all synthetic, right? Full synthetic. Yeah. Okay. Well, when I looked at the what makes up the base stock, they clearly said 50% from uh, highly refined petroleum. 
and 50% from what we call hydrocracked synthetic, okay? I'm not going to get into that argument about whether hydrocrack should really be synthetic. In the in the history of our business, at one time it was just considered uh, high-viscosity, uh, pure uh, base type oil, but today it's called synthetic, okay? But to put right in this, this category that half of it is highly refined petroleum and half of it is, is hydrocrack uh, synthetic, I just sat there looking at that, Bob, and I said to myself, it has become worse than it was predicted years ago by mobile when this whole, as they say, they let the horse out of the barn. Now, I don't want to get inside baseball, but for our listeners to understand, in about 1995, there was a big dispute between mobile oil company and castor oil company over products being labeled synthetic that mobile did not consider that those products were really synthetic, that they were just hydrocracked, extremely purified petroleum. And so they went to a huge uh, argument and contest and went all the way to the uh, a challenge in the national advertising uh, directory. Anyway, this group that controls for the federal government what is legal to say in advertising and what is not, okay? And they had a big spat about this, and um, Doug on the American Petroleum Institute just failed miserably and said that, well, uh, they were no longer defining synthetic in the chemical version as it had been since the beginning of time with this as synthesizing two small molecules to make one large lubricating molecule. That's the simple definition out of every lubrication engineer and chemistry book back to the 1930s when Standard Oil started producing some of this stuff. So, okay, we're not going to use that definition anymore. So what does synthetic mean? And what they came out of this thing saying is that synthetic would just be a marketing term. Well, what does that mean to the consumer? I mean, mobile blew their top, they had lost, but they just gave their final warning and said, well, look, you have just now made it so that years from now, the consumer will not know what they're buying. They won't know what they're buying because you've just opened the door to say that anything anybody wants to call synthetic, eventually they can get away with it because it's just a marketing term, by the way. And so what has happened is we thought it was controlled a little bit, at least, to say that if you said full synthetic, it meant that the the volume of the base stock in the oil had to be synthetic, at least this hydrocrack synthetic, which was never called that until after Castro got away with it. But the idea was, okay, well, if you use the term full, it means that all of that base stock in there is, is some kind of synthetic, except for maybe the oil that you mix your additives in and you dump that in, that might have been in a petroleum base. So maybe you're 85% synthetic and 15% mixed up with the additives you put in was a petroleum oil you mixed it in. Okay, that can be called full synthetic. By the way, you can only call a product 100% synthetic if it truly everything is 100% synthetic. But sure. we thought they were reserving that a blend would mean that you would have some proportion of your base stock would be petroleum and synthetic mix regardless of what you did to put the additives in. 
thought that was the agreed to definition. But here I see a major company, and I'm not going to be trying to use their name. I'm just telling the listeners this for information to understand because I'm not trying to dig at a company because this would be common throughout. It's not one is worse than the other. But what it means now is that we've even sloughed further, that to be full synthetic now is just a marketing term. The word full just must mean that it functions fully like a synthetic or something. I don't know because when you clearly show in your supporting documentation that half of it is petroleum and half of it is synthetic and then you label it as full synthetic, I don't know. To me, that is... That, that's just fraudulent to the consumer to me. But, I, you know, it looks like that we've, we've let this slide so far that it's to the point to where you better be really careful if you pay full price for something that says synthetic that you're really going to get what you pay for. And, and it's just so sad to have to say that. I mean, it, it, why would we be in that situation as consumers? We come back, I'll finish it up after the break. Yeah, you bring up such a great point, Dan. It needs to be said. We'll take a pit stop and then more with Dan Watson, CEO of The Lube Page. TheLubePage.com. Check it out when you get a chance. I'm Bob Long. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us here on Auto World. My name is Bob Long, along with Dan Watson. He's our certified lube technician, more than 25 years of experience, and one of the largest NAMS oil distributors in all of North America. And Dan was pointing out some research he was doing this week about different companies putting some things on labels that aren't accurate. And Dan, I'm so glad that you brought this up. Well, here's the thing. You know, I hate to because I'm a positive sort of guy, and I like to think that uh, the old idea in business that goes way back is that if I provide a quality service for my customer and my customer pays me a reasonable amount, we have had a successful, mutually beneficial transaction that we both walk away from knowing that we succeeded. Now, I don't like the idea that when the customer pays uh, the money for what they think is the quality of the product or the value that they're buying, and they don't know that the words on the label don't mean to the seller what they mean to them. You know, to me, that's the old, uh, I guess you just call it flim-flam, because what happens is I'm telling you that this is, you got to buy this, wonderful piece of property for me and I show you the pictures and it shows something on the beach in Florida. This is from the 1920s. And uh, you end up getting a, a, an acre in a swamp that uh, has, you know, two foot of water standing over your acre. So it's kind of like making you think of one thing and you pay for it and you find out you've got something entirely different. I don't consider that to be a mutually beneficial transaction, which is what business should all be about. And when I look at this, I think that this is what mobile oil company, huge oil company, warned this national advertising board about when they made the decision that they would accept the fact that uh, synthetic was just going to be a marketing term because it's not a marketing term. It has a direct definition both in chemistry and to the layman. It doesn't mean that it's just a marketing term like very good or you know, this is the bluebell, blue bonnet, or whatever, you know. That's not what it is. It actually means something to people, or at least they think it means something. 
But what they don't realize is that some of these manufacturers know that they can they can do about what they want with it once that decision was made, that they will never be sued or never fined for false advertising. Because if you say that synthetic is just an advertising uh, term, it's a marketing term, then it doesn't have to mean the things that people think it means. You know, so that'd be like saying that uh, Corvette is a marketing term and the fact that you sell somebody a Yugo and you label, put Corvette on it, that that's all legal because Corvette's just a marketing term, by the way, so it doesn't matter. Or if you did that with tires and you said, well, radio really is just a marketing term. Well, people think that radio means a different type of constructed tire. So if you made that decision on tires, you'd run around labeling a bunch of bias ply tires radio and selling people an inferior product that they'd be paying a supreme price for. That, to me, is just... How do we live in in this country where we're supposed to have, you know, consumer protection agencies and all the kind of things that you have in the state and the federal government and we pay out lots of taxes and these people are supposed to be running around protecting the consumer and they would allow this kind of uh, bait and switch, misnomer, misunderstanding to take place at the, and why does it take place? Follow the money trail for the largest amount of profit. If I can sell you a quart of oil and tell you that it's a full synthetic and charge you eight, nine, ten dollars for this full synthetic quart of oil, of which is actually uh almost just glorified petroleum in the bottle, and it doesn't cost me much more to make that than it did to make that quart of petroleum sitting next to it that sells for four dollars and fifty cents, look at the increased profit that I've made off of doing this sleight of hand. And so it just irks me, and that's why I wanted to talk about it tonight, to let our our consumers know. Now, I'm going to tell you something else that I know, and it's absolutely true. I think you get real synthetics. Uh, You can get those from Mobile Oil Company. You can get those from Amsoil Synthetics. Probably all you're going to get from Redline is true synthetics because they just make high-performance products. And uh, after that, I don't know what you'll find. And all I can tell the consumer is you need to uh, – all these, these companies have call lines and they have websites where you can ask questions, you know, where you go on and you type in a question and they're supposed to answer it. You just need to ask them point blank how much of this product that I'm buying is synthetic and how much of it is petroleum. And if it is synthetic, then on another time when we have more time, we're going to answer some questions. Another time, I will kind of try to explain to people what that really is because um, it's not as complicated as one might think, but they can tell you it's synthetic just like these guys I looked up on the Internet and and be trying to claim the glorified petroleum synthetic because they just say that it's a marketing term. So I guess you'd have to ask the question, how much of this is chemically synthetic and how much of it is petroleum-based stock? Maybe you'd get an honest answer. Most of the time they would tell you that's proprietary information. They're not going to answer that question. So, you know, but when you go in and you find an Amsoil product, I just want to tell you right now, you look on the label of that Amsoil product, and if it says 100% synthetic, legally binding, it has to be 100% real 
synthetic oil. That's why you see Amsoil is virtually the only company that labels the product with 100% synthetic. They don't use any of these terms like full, partial, a blend, and if they put on there 100% synthetic, and that means by law it better be 100% synthetic or else they incur a huge fine from the government for fraud. But, see, I think that these guys that say that it's full synthetic and you find that half of it is petroleum, that they ought to be guilty of fraud. And so buyer beware. You're not getting the protection from the consumer organizations that you think you are. Do not believe because they couldn't put it on the label unless it was true, okay? Because when they put on the label that it's full synthetic, and you think that means one thing, and to them it means entirely a different thing. And that's where the disconnect comes in. They're counting on the ignorance of the buying population not to know the difference while they basically march all the way to the bank with the extra profits they make from doing this. So I guess I've been on this uh, soapbox about as long as I can, Bob. <laughs> So let's answer some questions after the break. That sounds good. We're going to have more, much more, with Dan Watson from the Oil Page. And if you want to get in, give us a call, 855-660-4261 or Bob at AllTheWorldRadio.com. And now, back to the show with the highest octane, Auto World, and your host, Bob Long. And we're live, and we thank you so much for being here. I'm Bob Long, along with Dan Watson from TheLubePage.com. And Dan has been giving us a wealth of information, as usual. And we got to be careful out there, because an awful lot of funky things going down. So, Dan, anything else you'd like to add, or shall we move on to another well, question? Well, one thing in general, and then we'll hit these questions, and that is that uh, you, you have to remember that when it comes to your vehicle, your car, and what goes on with it is that ultimately you're the guy that or the gal that has to care and be very careful about what happens to your car because it belongs to you and you're the one that will actually suffer the consequences if it's not done right or things aren't what they should be. It's just like when you are going to the doctor and they start to talk about all kind of different kind of medicines you should take and this, that, and the other. Don't throw your hands up and just say, well, I don't know anything. The doctor knows best. What you have to do is ask questions and make sure that you get the right medicine. And sometimes you may want to get a second opinion, all kind of different things. So just be energetic enough to ask questions and take care of your car by uh, making people explain to you what it is they want to do for your car and why they think what they're doing is best. If you do that, a lot of times you'll find people telling you, well, maybe you should upgrade to a better product because this one's really not that good, but nobody ever asked, but I think this one over here is a better product. So just use that as your your direction. When I was in the Navy, we referred to, a lot of times, professional skepticism. You always need to be convinced. Don't take things on face value. Be skeptical and make sure that you agree with stuff before you have it done. So that's my best tip on how to make sure your car lasts forever. <laughs> let's go to the questions, Bob. Yeah, let's see what we've got here. We've got uh, um, we got a gentleman with a, a muscle car, and he's down in Atlanta. 
And let's see what he's got here. He's got a a 327 V8, I believe, a 68 Chevrolet pickup. So it's a pickup truck, bells and whistles, 327 cubic inch V8 engine, high performance engine. He's concerned about modern API SN oil will not provide the protection I need. What do you recommend? Very well, he, he's right on target. The, we've been in this, this discussion times before, and the problem you run into is that we're talking about here 68 a long time ago, and that 327 engine would be my guess has probably been rebuilt since then. But in any case, if it's at its original specifications, that's a... Um, you know, what do you call it, a tappet valve system? I'm getting my terminology correct sure. here. And so what that means is that I need oil that has a lot of zinc and phosphorus in it because I've got a situation where my camshaft uh, kind of, it really slides over the lifter, the lifter that's set up for that. It's not a roller lifter. It's uh, many times like a solid lifter. And if I don't have enough zinc and phosphorus in my oil, I may prematurely wear out the camshaft, wear down the lobe to cause myself some problems. Obviously, when the lobe gets worn down too far, it won't open up the valves enough. So, by the way, one quick piece of advice to somebody out there who's also got this, be careful on how much you keep your spring pressure on those uh, rocker arms because if you have too much spring pressure, you're going to wear this thing out anyway. So you need to be careful to set everything to spec and make sure that you use a good oil that's got plenty of zinc and phosphorus. Now, how are you going to do that when the current SN-rated oil is limited in zinc and phosphorus by the EPA and the federal government? Now, they do that because they're concerned about some of that carrying over into the catalytic converter, poisoning the converter, and making the converter less effective at doing the job for pollution it's designed to do. So... This 1968 Chevy pickup truck, it's never heard of a catalytic converter, nor does it have one anywhere on its body, okay? So you don't have to protect the catalytic converter. What you need to do is use a good 30 or maybe even a 40 weight oil with high zinc and phosphorus. So where are you going to find one since all this modern oil is being made with these reduced amounts? You're going to have to go to a specialty company like Amsoil, maybe somebody like Redline, uh, to get an oil that's made specifically for these vehicles. Amsoil calls it Z-Rod oil, and it has um, over 1,200 parts per million zinc and phosphorus. So it's designed for this system, and it will give you the protection you need. If you couldn't get there in the past, we would say uh, buy yourself a heavy-duty diesel oil, and you should come out okay. But you've even got to be careful about that these days because... The latest diesels have catalytic converters and diesel particulate filters and urea injection tanks, all the stuff in the exhaust, and they've really cut down now to, again, reduce the amount of zinc and phosphorus allowed in those oils. It would be higher than the gasoline oil, so if you couldn't find the Amsoil Z-Rod and you got some heavy-duty diesel oil, you probably would at least make a step in the right direction, and you'd probably have to use a 1540 or a 540 because... It's harder to find 30-weight diesel oil, all there is some out there. So the end of the question is this, the advice. Don't use SN or later rated 
engine oil in this vehicle. Go find something that has adequate zinc and phosphorus to guarantee the protection of your valve uh, cam system. So that's the end of that one. So we got the next question coming up, Bob. Yeah, we sure do. It's from Sarasota, where Tina, uh, Trina, actually writes. She's got a, oh, I like this, a 30-foot diesel-powered boat. What would you recommend for the two diesels I have on the back of the boat? What do you think? That sounds like a pretty good setup. Well, what I think is I need to go down and do a personal consultation here. <laughs> Take the boat out for some... <laughs> try it out and make sure we're getting the right lube in that those diesel engines and see about it. We can go off out there and catch some good fish off of Sarasota while we're checking it out. But Short of that, I guess maybe that probably wouldn't happen. Trina's probably got other things to do than to take me out on the boat. So here's the thing. These are marine diesels, and more than likely uh, they're going to be turbocharged because these marine diesels put out tremendous torque, and on a 30-foot boat with twin diesels, you probably have a pretty heavily pitched propellers on these things, and that boat will get up and move pretty well with those two diesels. There's a lot of uh, these uh, uh, Volvo, and uh, Mm -hmm. there's some uh, actually Cummins diesels that are going in these types of boats, and they're very powerful, and they don't have all this pollution stuff that you end up with on shore, so you can really pump some power out of these things, and it's good because... uh, any time that in a marine application, any time the boat is moving, the engine's under load. <laughs> it's not like a car or a truck where you can coast downhill. If you're moving, you, you're pushing against that propeller, and it's moving water like a big pump, so that, that engine is loaded all the time, and you've got to take care of it. Now, what you worry about in a marine application is you need to make sure that you're going to have a better than normal uh, rust and corrosion inhibit, inhibitors in your oil because uh, these things in between operating, they're going to sit there and there's a, so much high humidity and moisture in the air right down on the water that as the engine breathes back and forth daily, like we've talked about sometimes, it's going to get quite a bit of moisture inside, and so your oil needs to be designed to protect in that situation and not just, you know, uh, drain down off the surfaces and disappear so uh, there's a couple of oils from Amsoil, it's not the only one, I'm sure there's a, a mobile marine diesel engine oil also but the key here is, is to buy something that is marine rated and has the rust inhibiting capability to protect this engine in between operating, so I suggest Amsoil's heavy duty diesel and marine engine oil that's all the time we got for that question Welcome back, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us here today on Auto World. We've got uh, our regular guy, Dan Watson, in the driver's seat here, and we're taking all your calls and emails about anything in the lubrication area. Uh, So let's see. We've got uh, a question out of California. We haven't done that one yet, Dan, have we? Let's see. My computer just did a little dance on me. So we'll get the computer back working. And the question comes from Central California. 
And the question is evading me as my computer decides to act up, but we'll get it. Uh, Steve in El Central California. I heard someone say 0W16 oil is required for Hondas. Is this true? Doing 0W16 in Japan for a few years, a big test project to see if it was going to hold up. They're satisfied that it holds up, so they're producing these Hondas now, the new ones, 2018. There's a number of them that call for 0W16. And I know there's people out there like me included to go, are you kidding me, 0W16? I mean, just how thin is this going to get? And so here's what I would say to anyone out there who is going to be purchasing a Toyota or a Honda or maybe even a new Mazda down the road that's going to have 0W16 in it. You have to use a synthetic engine oil. You cannot use petroleum or fake synthetic oil. That's 0W16. The Japanese spec on this calls for a full synthetic engine oil. Now, we just went through all this at the beginning of the the hour about how that full synthetic appears, uh, seems to mean very little to some companies that, that actually admit that the oil is not full synthetic, but the spec from Japan is full synthetic, and they mean it from Japan that it would be all synthetic with the exception maybe of the carrier oil for the additives that are put into the oil. So you've got to use synthetic. You, you will not get by with a cheap substitute at a 16-weight oil. It's too close to the margins, and you're going to need to have, if it were me, I would tell you, to make sure that you get it from a from a reputable company like Amsoil, that you're going to be sure that you're getting real synthetic oil in that that court. Because boy, if you get something that's substandard at that level, it won't take it too long before you start having some wear problems that may even result in low compression and problems. And then I'm sure that Honda or Toyota would say, well, we told you to run a 0W16 that's a full synthetic that meets our specs, and apparently you didn't because you've worn out the rings in the engine, so you're going to have to fix that yourself. They wouldn't be trying to go back on the warranty. I wouldn't blame them. So make sure that you use a quality synthetic, even for 0W20, but in particular for 0W16. So that's the best advice I can give on that one, Bob. Let's move on to Alabama where Mike joins us with a question. Does CVT transmissions take a different fluid than a standard automatic transmission? Indeed they do. Yeah, this is a good question because this is confusing to a lot of people. A constant variable transmission has very little sometimes internally in common with a standard automatic transmission. So they are distinctly different fluids. And if you put regular ATF in a CVT, you may in fact get it to work, seeming like it's working, but it's probably got a lot of slipping going on and it's wearing out some internal components and you don't realize it. You might realize it when you see that your fuel economy went from and some of these vehicles from, say, 38 to 28, you wonder what's happening. Well, that's because the transmission is 
is slipping on this, this standard transmission fluid. And if you put CVT fluid in your standard automatic transmission by mistake, you probably really slip because the clutches probably won't properly engage and you'll end up with a, a lot of problems. So you distinctly have to keep these things separated. And if your vehicle says it has a CVT and you're taking it because there's something going on and you think it needs service, you make sure that whoever you're talking to understands what you've got and that it will require special CVT fluid. And if you don't have a place you can trust with that, I always hate to say this, but you might be better off taking it back to the dealership to make sure yeah. that it doesn't get screwed up. Because if it gets screwed up, it's going to be an expensive mess. It sure is. That's good advice. Sergio joins us in Geneva, New York, and Sergio writes, Winter is coming, and it gets cold here. Is synthetic oil really better for cold weather? Why would a 5W synthetic be better than a 5W petroleum? Uh, that's a perfect one to serve up to you, Dan, on a platter. Well, it's a good question because 5W means 5W. That's a winter rating, and it means either whether it's petroleum or synthetic, it has to actually be able to meet that flow characteristic in cold weather. That's when we call the W rating the winter rating. So we're saying that either one of these oils, he's got a good question. If, if both of them can meet the 5W, then why would I say that synthetic is better than petroleum in cold weather? Well, here's one of the reasons. There's a pretty large band to get that 5W rating. You can be over a pretty wide range of how the oil has to perform to get that rating. And the petroleum oils get it by using what they call pore depressants, and these are chemicals that prevent any crystallization of wax in the oil, which would cause it to get really thick and sometimes solid, okay? So they put these special chemicals in there to prevent it from being able to form wax crystals. Now, that works fairly well, but you're talking about winter can be fairly long, and your 5W petroleum can start to get short on having enough of these things to make it. Now, over in the synthetic, <clears throat> since it is a pure stock with no wax in it at all, there's no problem with crystallizing wax because not there. It doesn't exist. So mm -hmm. you don't need a pore depressant to get a quality synthetic to work as a 5W. It doesn't need any. So it's never going to be a situation where it starts to run out of its additive and begins to thicken on you because, you know, it's a long winter and this stuff is wearing out. So the nice thing about the synthetic is that you can use it. It will have uh, really fine performance, usually down to minus 40 degrees or so, and it'll easily pass that 5W rating, and you won't have to put any additives in it whatsoever. The other part is that's good is that the less of these kinds of pore depressant additives that you put in, the better it is that your additive package is actually concentrating on the other things like wear control, uh, oxidation control, because the truth is, and it's a funny sort of way to look at it, but if you took the one square inch of metal surface and you put the oil on it, the additives actually are competing for surface area 
and the ability to do what they do in that little cube of oil. So if I have too much of one additive, it restricts a little bit the efficiency of the other additive. So if I've got to jack this thing full of additives to keep it from freezing and forming wax, I'm going to do it at a little bit of the <clears throat> excuse me of the detriment of a couple other additives that it might be competing with in the oil. So sure, if I can hold sense. down the amount of that additive, then I can make the others function stronger for what they're supposed to do. So I know that sounds a little kooky, but it's true. It's just the art of making oil. So. We had one caller on the line. Let's say hello to Frank really quick. Frank in New Mexico. Uh, Frank, can you call us back next week? I'm sure that he will. And don't forget, you can get a hold of Dan. Uh, once you give out that telephone number, Dan. That is 800-370-2986. 